All right, good, good. Beautiful. Let's read what our text is this morning, and then we'll, di- we'll just dissect it. Beginning with Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, we're going to read verses 20 through 38. Jesus, if you guys, just as a reminder, Jesus right now, he is telling his disciples, they asked him, what are going to be the signs of the end time? What are going to be the signs of your coming back in judgment? And he says this, beginning with verse 20. He says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, And in the stars and on the earth, distresses of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, This generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Therefore, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and the day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. Then early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. So a a Strong encouragement, I will say for myself as I'm going through this text about the seriousness of our walk today, this morning, of how serious are we taking our walk? Because there is going to be an end to this world. This world will fade away one day. It's all going to burn, I like to say. It's all going to burn. So sometimes when I even get too caught up in the material things of life, there's a scratch on my motorcycle, oh, it's, it's all going to burn. I know that. I have to be more focused on eternity then. 
But what are going to be the signs that Jesus is going to return? Because Jesus said there are going to be signs, and that's what we're going to cover today. And as we look at these signs, we're going to start to see and realize, it's going to be a reminder that these signs are taking place today. So let's look at verse 20. It says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Now, Jesus is telling his disciples, look, want to know one of the signs that I'm going to return? is when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies. Now, many times in prophecy in the Bible, there is a dual fulfillment, which is very unique and interesting to me. Because in 70 AD, after the time of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, there was the Roman general Titus who came to Jerusalem and desolated Jerusalem. Remember last week I was reminding us of how Jesus said not one stone will be left upon another in the temple. And the Roman soldiers, they took each stone apart one by one because the gold was inside of those stones. And they they tore it apart. So when Titus did that, after this is after Jesus warned them, he said, look, Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies. That literally happened. But there is going to come a a full and a complete fulfillment of this also in the future. Because we know that there's going to come a day when everyone is going to turn against Jerusalem. Or most, I should say, most everyone is going to turn against Jerusalem. There will be few who try to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and stand up for them. Now there's a verse in referring to Babylon in Isaiah chapter 47, verses 1 through 3. And I, I want to kind of just give you guys an example, another example of, look, th- there's dual fulfillments in our scripture, in our Bible. Now, you've heard of maybe the nation of Babylon, that the Babylonian Empire. The, there's songs that talk about Babylon. Um, in Isaiah chapter 47, he actually prophesied that the nation of Babylon would fall down. In Isaiah chapter 47, verses 1 through 3, Isaiah wrote, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen, and I will take vengeance, and I will not arbitrate with a man. So Babylon was a wicked empire, so wicked that they would sacrifice their children to the god of Molech, the gods of Baal. They would put the, the children on these altars and light the altars on fire as a sacrifice to these idols. So because of this, God allowed another nation to come and conquer Babylon. That nation was the Persians. And you can look all this up in history. World history talks about there was the nation of Babylon who was then conquered by the Persians. So Isaiah prophesied that Babylon would fall. And, it, and Babylon did fall. But in, in the end times, the Babylonian world spiritual system is going to rise up again. And the Babylonian world system, what it is, it's basically a one world government and even a one world religion that is all about exalting man to the highest pinnacle. Not God, but man. 
And that's gonna come also in the form of the Antichrist. Now, in the book of Revelation, of a future time, Revelation chapter 18, verses one through two, it talks about, again, Babylon falling. So this is the dual fulfillment I'm showing us here. In Revelation chapter 18, verses one and two, John wrote, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried with a mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. So that's now future tense we're talking about here. When John is writing about Babylon falling in the future, he's saying, I'm seeing this happening in the future. So there's that dual fulfillment. Babylon fell once in history. It's going to fall again. God is going to judge the world system. So we see that taking place. Now again in verse 20, we read it. It says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. But what is Jesus giving them warnings about right here? He's giving them warnings about his return. The signs before he returns in judgment. Now, what do you guys see happening with the nation of Israel today? You know, we don't see them too much on the news right now. But when I think of the world powers, who do you guys think of as world powers in our earth? USA, probably, right? Definitely a world power. China, probably a world power. Russia, no one's trying to stop them right now, right? Well, a little bit now. But the main world powers, do we see them growing in friendship with Israel? Or is there now more of a disliking towards Israel? Especially in our new generation, there's people who, who don't like Israel at all. That in America, who don't like Israel. And I'm like, why, why, what is going on in the society of this generation where there is now becoming a, an animosity towards the Israeli people who are God's chosen people? And what I see with this is, look, the hearts of the world are turning against Israel right in front of us. And the clock is ticking. How long is it before people start to look at Israel as an enemy? I hope it doesn't happen while me and Lisa are in Israel. <laughs> this leads me to my first point of my study this morning. Point number one, take your walk seriously. See, if you are not serious about your walk and the call that Jesus has in your life, then today is the day to get serious. Because we see these signs coming more and more frequent. In verse 21, Jesus continues. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. So now Jesus is giving a, a warning to these people about what they should do if they find themselves in this particular tribulation. I have a couple maps that I, I just want to give you guys kind of an idea when Jesus is saying this to these people. Uh, let, let's show the first map of uh, the, the Roman Empire. So it's coming up. There it is. Beautiful. So you could see 
right there, Spain, Rome. This is uh, during Jesus' time. And uh, the Mediterranean Sea and all this, and then this little tiniest plot of land right there, that's Israel, where it says Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea. And that was the little portion of Judea. And then over there you got Italy, the boot, right? Greece, Turkey. Uh, show the next map too. We're going to zoom into Israel. Okay, so now this is Israel zoomed in. There's the Mediterranean Sea, the sea that we were looking at. And that orange portion right there, that's Judea. And Jesus is telling his disciples, he's warning actually the people who are going to be in the future tense. If you find yourself for the Jews, if they find themselves entering into the great tribulation, he's saying, if you're in Judea, flee to the mountains, go hide up there. Because in Judea, that's where Jerusalem is. There's going to come a time of persecution for the Jews. So he's telling them to flee. And he's saying, if you're in the countryside too, don't come to Judea. And it's interesting too. And I like just to be able to picture that. Okay, that he's saying, don't, don't stay in Judea, but leave, flee, hide. Now in, in verse 22, he says, For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. I'm like, oh man, the days of vengeance, the Lord's judgment. This isn't like Batman, like I'm vengeance. This is like the real like vengeance, okay? This is like complete great tribulation. What things are, are, are written that Jesus is talking about here? Well, today we're going to look at the things that was prophesied of, of what was going to be happening during the great tribulation. And one of the things I want us to really understand today as Christians, as, as believers, is what's prophesied of concerning the Antichrist and when the great tribulation starts. So I want to ask us to turn our Bibles this morning to Daniel chapter 9. Because we're not going to put the, these verses up on the slides. We're going to be looking at what is prophesied of concerning the great tribulation and concerning the Antichrist. And before we even get into that, we are going to see that the, there are some prophecies concerning even the Messiah on his coming, on his entering into Jerusalem, and how these have been fulfilled, some of them already. So in Daniel chapter 9, you guys there? Cool, cool. All right, Daniel chapter 9. We're going to start with verses 24. In verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9, he says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vi the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, there's an interesting thing about the word weeks right here when it says 70 weeks. And I want to bring up some notes for you guys. The word for weeks is the same word as sevens. That's what the word weeks means. It means sevens. So what Daniel is saying here, he's meaning, look, 70 groups of seven years. And that's the literal translation of the word weeks. It means sevens. 
So that is equal, when you have 70 groups of seven years, to 490 years until judgment. Okay? Now, okay, well, 490 years has, has passed, right? And the judgment hasn't came. Well, hold on. Let's, we're going to get to that. In verse 25, he says, To know and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So Daniel prophesies right here. He says, look, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. When was that? If you look at the history of when it was, because Jerusalem was torn down, when was the command given to rebuild and restore Jerusalem? On March 14th, 445 BC. King Artaxerxes, he decreed to rebuild Jerusalem and they started to rebuild it. So from the, the time that he sent out that decree, there was gonna be seven weeks and remember, it's or seven groups of seven years, which is 49 years. And then there's going to be another 62 groups of seven years, right there in verse 25, which is equal to 434 years. So you, when you add those two together, you get 483 years. So do you see where I'm getting these weeks from? It says there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks in verse 25. So remember, seven sevens and 62 sevens. So that's 483 years. Now, in the next slide, biblical years were 360 days in length, okay? It's not like our calendar. Their years were 360 days. So from March 14th, 445 BC, exactly 483 biblical years later, Jesus walked in to Jerusalem. And that's exactly what it said. Until Messiah the Prince to restore and build Jerusalem. Then the, Jesus came into Jerusalem exactly as was prophesied, which is incredible, okay? And then in verse 26, after the 62 weeks, Messiah, that's Jesus, shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince, that's the Antichrist, who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. So in verse 26, we have two things mentioned here. First, we have Jesus being cut off after he rode into Jerusalem. It was only seven days later that he was crucified. And then the prince of who is to come, Referring to the Antichrist, meaning, look, after 62 group, groups of seven years, Jesus is going to be crucified, and then the Antichrist would come after that. So remember, so far we've fulfilled 483 years of prophecy because we added, add up, added up the years. But Daniel said that there was going to be 490 years. So what, there's still seven years that need to be fulfilled. So what's going on with those seven years? How come we haven't seen those? Well, those seven years are the great tribulation. That's coming. And right now, we're basically in a period of grace. So let's look at verse 27, still in Daniel's book. 
says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And again, that week is seven years, okay? But in the middle of the week, in the middle of the seven years, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So this he, it's talking about here, that's the Antichrist again. He's going to confirm a covenant, meaning this treaty, a peace treaty, a peace agreement for seven years. And in the middle of that seven years, the Antichrist is going to go into the temple and he's going to commit what is called this abomination of desolation. So he's going to stop the sacrifices that are going on. So when do we know that the great tribulation begins? When the Antichrist makes the peace treaty. That's the start. That's when the clock starts ticking now. Judgment. It's the great tribulation for seven years. Now, as believers, as Christians, we don't have to fear the great tribulation. And the reason why is God has not appointed us unto his wrath. We're appointed unto mercy. So we know that the Bible talks about us being caught up in a twinkling of an eye, that the rapture of the church is going to take place. And we're going to get to miss the great tribulation. So that, that's why he's saying, pray that you're counted worthy to escape these things. Now, again, the, the, in the middle of the great tribulation, the Antichrist is going to come and say, look, worship my false idol. And then he's going to begin an assault on the Jews and try to kill them all. And then God is going to take the Jews and protect them in a fortified city. And many people think that that fortified city is the rock city of Petra. So that time is coming. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus spoke of this. He said, look, in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 18, he said, it's on the screens there. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. So there's going to come a great tribulation amongst even the Jews at that time. Now go back to Luke's gospel, chapter 23. Jesus continues in his warnings. He says, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now remember, again, with this dual prof prophetic word, Rome, they devastated the land of Israel. And in the future, again, Jerusalem is again going to be destroyed and desecrated by the Antichrist. It says that it's going to be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Because there's going to come a time 
when Jerusalem will again belong to the chosen people, even after that, of Israel. Okay, so get this. Like, why is there so much war and so much focus on this tiny little, I know I took the map off, this tiny little portion of land in Israel? It's such a small country. It's like southern, it's like literally the, the, the size of Israel is like smaller than Southern California. It's like this tiny little plot of land. You could drive around the whole country in a day. And, and, and with that, why do we hear so much about it? Why do people fight and so much war going on over it? It's because this place was the birthplace of the Christian faith as we know it, of even the Islamic faith, the Jewish faith. All these religions came from this little plot of land. That's why it's called the Holy Land. And there have been wars that are, have taken place over it. And, and it's tragic, yeah. And I don't condone what some of the history of the church has done towards the Israeli people or even the Islamic people and the Crusades. But look, I recognize this, that God is not done with his chosen people, Israel. Now, the chosen people of Israel, they're God's chosen people. They were supposed to represent who God is to the world. And they failed at it. But God's not done with them. Because God, like a good father, he chastens those whom he loves. He's not done with them. This leads me to my second point this morning. That God chastens those he loves. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, the Hebrew author writes, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. You see, the reason why our parents spanked us or should have spanked us, the reason why our parents... Disciplined us, I should say. Wasn't because they just wanted to make us feel bad. Or they didn't. I hope not. If they're a good parent, you know. It wasn't because they were wanted to just completely rule over this little human being and chastise them. The reason why our parents punished us, because they loved us enough to want to keep us from going down a path that we shouldn't go in life. And in that same manner, we see God as a father. He chastens us. Now, we've been allowed to be draft, grafted into the chosen family of Israel. That when we become a believer in the Lord, that the Bible teaches us that we are now a part of the Israeli family. And I see in God's character it's grace that, that God has given us grace to be a part of this family. That's why we as believers are called to pray for the peace of Israel and that we're not supposed to curse Israel. Do I think that everything that Israel has done is good? Absolutely not. I think there's things that Israel has done that are not good, but that doesn't give me then the authority to curse them. I'm supposed to pray for their peace. And, and I do have a love and a, and a desire to be a part of these people. And it, it's a beautiful thing. 
And I, I recognize, look, this is how we apply this. You know, God loves his children. He chastens us. And I wonder for you guys, has God chastened you in areas of your life? Where there's things in your life where you were like, man, you just saw like the Lord's hand really allow us to kind of go through something that didn't feel good because we were acting a fool. And I'm, what I'm referring to is, look, we sin in our lives. So all of us here, we're all sinners. So because we're sinners, there's times when God has to give us the belt or the chancla, the spanking. And he does that so that we can be corrected, so that we can repent. And sometimes it takes a trial or a misfortune to get a person's attention. There's been times in my life where I have found freedom through repentance because of a trial. That I have found freedom through confessing my sins to my brother. And there's times when it, it took me to hit rock bottom in order to finally surrender to the Lord. There's this verse in the Bible that says, look, you could either fall on the rock who is Jesus and be broken, or you can let that stone, the huge stone, crush you into dust. And I would rather fall on the rock and be broken. And God uses broken people. He restores them. Sometimes it takes God to remove the blinders off of our eyes to see that our sin is costing us. And we're like, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And it hurts at times. But that hurt, that process that we go through, it's so that God can make something new in us. And that's a beautiful thing. For everyone in Christ is a new creation. Continuing in verse 25, Jesus says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distresses of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of, the, of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, what he's referring to here is that in the great tribulation, there, are gonna be, there is going to be that time when judgment comes onto the world. And I wanted to remind us what that judgment is going to look at. So if we started to drift into NASA airspace recently in our Bible study and we're thinking about what we're going to eat after service, let's kind of come back onto earth for a moment. And because this is a part that it, I'm thankful I don't have to be afraid of what I'm going to teach us right now but it is still a frightening and fearful thing to think about. Because I want to go over real quick the wrath of God being poured out on the earth and how that's going to take place. And if you're taking notes, beautiful. You don't have to turn your Bibles to these passages of Scripture. But there's going to be 21 different types of judgments that are going to take place. And I'm going to read them to you guys because there's 21, so we can't put it on the screens. So first, there's going to be these seals in heaven. And a seal is, there's a scroll, there's a, a king's seal on it, and that seal is going to be open, and judgment is going to come out. So first, these seals that are broken. The first one 
we have the first horseman of the apocalypse. The white horseman comes, that's the Antichrist. So that's the white horse. And when the Antichrist comes, you see that in Revelation chapter 6, he's going to come with a bow and crowns are given to him, and he's going to go forth conquering and to conquer. So first the Antichrist is going to come into the world as a conqueror. The second seal, a red horse is going to come. And this is John, the revelator. He's seeing all these things that are signs of the end time. So he's seeing this, and it's a sign referring to a literal thing that's going to take place. So the red horse he sees, and the red horse is going to be symbolic of great war upon the entire earth. Then the third seal, a black horse is going to come. And the black horse is going to bring with him famines. And when the famines come, the whole world is going to hurt so much so that it's going to cost a day's wage for oil and wine. Now, the pale horse, the fourth seal, when he comes, one-fourth of the earth is going to die. They're going to be killed because of the hunger that is caused by these famines. People are also going to kill, but with the sword because of him. And then the fifth seal. When the fifth seal is opened, there are going to be martyrs who are killed for Christ during the Great Tribulation. And they will be then placed into heaven, into eternity. On the sixth seal, when that one opens, great earthquakes, the sun and the moon are, are, are going to turn to blood. And the stars of heaven will fall. Okay, so you can see catastrophe now on the earth. And then the seventh seal. When the seventh seal, there's going to be silence in heaven for half an hour, which is kind of an interesting thing. That's in, taking place in heaven. I've heard a, one Bible commentator say that he believes it's going to be silent in heaven because God himself, the Father, is going to be mourning over what's about to take place on the earth. Just a commentator. Now, let me see the rest of my chart. Uh, we're going to talk about the trumpets, but I'm sorry, my notes disappeared for me. Revelation. Oh, no. Okay. I think this is it. Oh, beautiful. Now the trumpets. The first trumpet. This is one of the, the beginning of, of now more judgments on the earth. When the first trumpet blows, hail and, fire ming hail and fire mingled with blood are going to hit the earth. So much so that all the grass is going to be burned up on the entire world. Okay, no more green. Okay. Then the second trumpet is going to come. It's going to be blown. And something like a great mountain is going to come from the sky with fire mingled with it. And it's going to hit the sea so that the sea becomes blood and all the living creatures of the sea are going to die. And a third of the ships that are in the ocean will be destroyed. Then the third trumpet is going to blow. And when the third trumpet blows, there's going to be a, a particular asteroid that is named Wormwood that is going to come from heaven and hit the world. And when it does that, by some way or another, it's going to cause all the rivers and springs to be made bitter so that when people drink of it, they die. Don't want to be here for that. Fourth trumpet blows. And when the fourth trumpet blows, a, a third of the sun 
and the moon and the stars are struck and darkened so that a third of the day and a third of the night, there's no stars or sun that's going to be taken away. And then the fifth trumpet is going to blow. This is where it gets kind of crazy. When the fifth trumpet blows, there's going to be a pit from hell that's going to open up. And these demonic forces are going to come out of that pit and going to be allowed to attack men and women and to sting them. So much so that these people are going to want to die. And that's going to take place for five months. And during this time, the Bible teaches that death will flee the earth and that people will be trying to commit suicide. I, I hate to get graphic, but people are going to literally try to kill themselves, but their spirit will not leave their body. So you have someone who, who takes a gun to his head, blows it off, his head, blows a shot through his head, but his spirit won't leave his body. What does that do to a man? It's like a zombie at that point, right? This is like the walking dead in real life. I told you it was going to scare you guys today. The sixth trumpet was going to blow. And when the sixth trumpet blows, four angels who are bound underneath the river Euphrates, bound in hell, they're going to be released onto this world to kill a third of mankind. And then there's going to be a seventh trumpet. And when that seventh trumpet blows, the kingdoms of the world and the kingdoms of the Lord will become one. So that's when at the end of, of the judgment right there. But I'm not done because there's seven more bowls that need to get poured out throughout the Great Tribulation. And we'll go over those real quickly when the first bowl comes out. Horrible sores from head to toe on people. On those specifically who took the mark of the beast. Then the second bowl. When the second bowl is poured out onto the earth, the sea becomes like blood. Like that of a dead man. and Like this thick, gross blood is what the sea is going to turn into. With the third bowl, the rivers and the springs of waters, they will also become like blood. The fourth bowl, the sun is given power to scorch men with fire here on the earth. When the fifth bowl is poured out onto the earth, the beasts, the animals, they start to attack human beings. It's like Jurassic Park or something. And, and people will gnaw their tongues because of their pain. When the sixth bowl comes out, the Euphrates River is dried up so that this army can come in the last battle of Armageddon. And the seventh bowl, that's also at the end of the tribulation, is when a voice shouts out from heaven saying, it is done. And the islands, they, there's no more islands on the world anymore because of the great catastrophe that's been happening on the world and Jesus is going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives is going to split open and Jesus is going to be victorious in the Battle of Armageddon. Okay, now we have all that in our heads, okay? When Jesus is talking to his disciples here in Luke chapter 21 about these world calamities that are going to take place, this is what he's referring to. And as, you know, a believer, as I study these things, I'm reminded, like, as I'm looking at the clock, the prophetic clock of what's 
the generation. Look, nobody knows when exactly Jesus is going to come, okay? Nobody can say. If you start to hear people say in, uh, in 2027 that Jesus is coming back, false prophet, okay? Don't, don't listen to them. Nobody knows the day or the hour Jesus taught, okay? But he did give us signs of what's going to come. So back in Luke's gospel, let me pull up my notes again. Oh, beautiful. Tell me what verse I'm on. We're on verse 25, good job. All right, here we go. Verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distresses of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then in verse 27. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power, and great glory. Now when these things happen, begin to happen, look up and lift your head because your redemption draws near. And this leads me to my third point this morning. Point number three. Jesus will return. Jesus is not done. The world is going to experience judgment. Sometimes we think like, how can a loving God allow for so much evil in the world while he's going to deal with evil? There's going to come a day when all the evils of this world will be dealt with. Now to the believers, when we hear of Jesus' return, that's our redemption. But to the unbeliever, it's a fearful thing. So much so that they will turn against it and hate it. And when I think of the idea of redemption, you know, this church is called Redeemed Church Fellowship for a reason. It's that idea that we have been bought back, purchased by Jesus' blood, and we belong to God. From the dead of sin, we've been set free. And I, we, I realize we're going to take part, too, in Christ's return. The Bible teaches that, when, that when Jesus comes on the, pa- uh, on, on the clouds with power and great glory, we're going to be alongside him. It's great, lo- great glory, but I just like great glory. Uh, <laughs> when he comes on the clouds... We're also going to be returning with Christ. And I want to take part of that redeeming the earth. And by that time, we're going to have our glorified bodies. So, you know, if our body is failing us here on this earth today, know that one day God has a promise that he's going to give us a new body. And we look forward to that new body. Because these things are, are these, this bag of meat that I am in, it, it's fading away. And the, the brain sometimes too can act up in all these areas of our life where like God help us with the, our health. God's going to give us a glorified body. And this is the importance of being in Christ. This is why we need to be in a loving relationship with Jesus. In verse 29, then he spoke a parable to them saying, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. 
So you also, when you see things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Now, Jesus here, he gives the disciples an illustration. And it's a simple one for them. He sees the fig tree budding. And the fig tree, it it buds before summer. So he says, look, when you see the fig tree budding, you know summer's around the corner. Just like in our society, when we see Christmas decorations going up, we know that it means Halloween's around the corner, right? Yeah, (laughs) that's true, because they put Christmas decorations up so early in our day. Now, the kingdom that Jesus is referring to here, he's saying, look, this is going to be the new reign of Jesus here on this earth, where Jesus is going to reign as king again here on this earth. And we get to be a part of that. Now, one thing that I see that I like to ask uh, skeptics of the faith, I like to ask them this, because people always say, oh, they've been saying that Jesus is going to be coming back for years. My grandma used to say that, right? I was like, yeah, they've been saying it since the time of Jesus, really, so a lot more years than that. But Jesus, his words don't fail. And secondly, I'd like to ask skeptics this question, that if you found out that the Christian faith was real, was true, would you believe it? And if they say no, then it's not a, a logical issue anymore. It's a hard issue. Because if I could logically show them, like, look, this is, there's evidence, there's faith-based evidence, there's archaeology, history, and they could still say no, then it's not an issue of the mind, it's an issue of heart. And I take that also to myself. If I found out that what I believed was not to be true, if that was proven to me without a shadow of a doubt, then I would walk away. I wouldn't continue in the Christian faith. Paul says we'd be fools. But I have seen, I've seen God not only do the saving power of delivering me from sin in my life, but then I started to dig deeper into the the history, the archaeology. Do you know what kind of science this Bible has in it? What type of science? It's forensic science. The The same type of science that detectives use to look up what happened in the past. Forensic science. So, in verse 32... Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So when he's saying this to the disciples, we're like, wait a second, the disciples died though. Why, why did he say that this generation will by no means pass away? Well, obviously, yes, the disciples did die. Most of them were martyrs. So Jesus isn't referring to his disciples here. He's referring to the generation of the Jews who are going to experience the great tribulation. So the Jews who, there is going to be Jews, keep this in mind. During the great tribulation, there are going to be people who are saved during that great tribulation. And for some of them, sad to say, but better this way. If you take the mark of the beast, and it's not going to be like, something that you don't know. It's not going to be like a vaccine or something. It's not going to be that, okay? You're going to know there is going to be an antichrist and and a whole world system who's going to say, look, you need to take this mark. Otherwise, you can't buy 
You can't work. You can't uh, buy food without it. And if you don't take this mark, we're going to consider you an enemy and we're going to cut your head off. And you're like, that sounds so drastic. How can that happen? It's what the word says is going to take place. And so you're either going to get to become a tribulation saint, martyred for your faith, or somehow you're going to make it to be with all those other Jews hiding in the rock city, the, the fortified city. I don't know if you're going to be able to fly over there during this great tribulation. But it, it doesn't, that's why we don't want to be left behind. Now, when God, according to Revelation chapter 21, he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth one day at the end of all these things. And Jesus is saying, look, the heavens and earth are going to pass away, but my words, they're going to endure. What Jesus is saying is going to endure. And I want to ask you guys, has God given you guys a word, something, a promise, a promise of salvation even, something that we can stand on in truth and in faith, knowing, look, his words don't fade away. I don't know where you guys are this morning in your hearts and in your minds, but I know this, that God has a plan for your life and that God loves you. And that leads me to my fourth point. The eternal perspective is from revelation, and that's revelation of Jesus. Eternal perspective comes from the revelation of Jesus Christ in our life. And this is on my heart right now. Because I want us as a, as a church, and I myself, I want to learn new things about my Jesus. Because I want to grow in my relationship with him. The same way that we, we grow in our relationships with our friends, our family members, and we're learning new things about them. We can learn new things about who Jesus is, that he can have a personal relationship with us. And how much is there to know about an infinite Messiah? Infinite things. And this is why heaven isn't going to be boring. We think, well, we're just going to sit up there and play on the harp like for eternity? That sounds kind of boring, right? No, because we have an infinite God. And Jesus himself is going to be so amazing most amazing experience mentally, physically, spiritually that we can ever have is Jesus himself. He's going to be the light in heaven. We're not even going to need a son anymore. His words don't fade. And Jesus is God's word. When the Trinity, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus at the beginning of creation were all together and said, let there be light. That there be stars in the sky and the sun and the waters on this earth and the land creatures and the water creatures and all these things. And Jesus was called the word, according to John's gospel. And when I see that, look, we use words to communicate to one another. So God sent Jesus, his son, as a mediator to communicate to us a relationship to him. And when all else fails in this life, Jesus will not fail you. If you are experiencing difficulty in your walk today, I want to encourage you guys, ask Jesus to be closer with you in this season. And you can grow in that. You can get closer and closer to Jesus in your life. When religion and the mechanical approach to God, it, it, it's not going to do it anymore. 
We need to ask Jesus to be real, have a real relationship in our life. We're rounding down to these last verses here. Verse 34. But take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So the warning here, he says, look, carousing, that word literally for carousing refers to the hangover that comes after a night of intoxication. An exhortation here, look, stay away from drunkenness, stay away from alcohol. And I I know that that not every pastor is about to say what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it here at this church. I, as a pastor, I don't want you guys drinking alcohol. I don't. And there's other churches who maybe a pastor won't say that, but just in this season that we're in and in the time we're in and what I have seen alcohol do to families' lives, it's a cancer to me. God bless you. Jesus and the Holy Spirit bless Melissa. In verse 36, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So look, this is where he's saying pray, watch therefore, be alert. And I, I, I see this in my last point today of our study. Point five, replace earthly desires with prayer. When that, that temptation comes in our life, Start to talk to God. Start to talk to Jesus. Invite Jesus into that moment with you. Like, Jesus, just, just be here with me. Be in the room with me. And in the daytime, in verse 37, and in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. And then early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. See, Jesus, again, we see his ministry. He also was teaching in the temple and why? Because he's caring for people. And I realize Jesus cares for you today, this morning. So are there things that we need to start taking seriously in our walk? Has God been chastening us? Know that he loves you guys if he has. We know that Jesus is coming back. That's why we need to get serious in our walks. And this perspective, this eternal perspective, if you want to grow in that, We need to grow in our relationship and our revelation of who Jesus is in our life. And we can start that off with prayer. So let's end with prayer this morning.